if you launch a niche product where you pay attention to the little details, make it easy to reserve, make it easy to get in and out, make sure the bikes are clean and nice and operate well, make sure the sound system is work, get rid of bad teachers if they're, if they're bad, have a sort of community feel to the place where people can come in, serve coffee on Sunday morning. I mean, you, you create a very different kind of feeling experience. This is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan, your host, and you can find us, as always, at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Have you ever thought about how cool it would be to have your own indoor cycling studio where you're the boss, you get to hire all the instructors, live with all the headaches? Well, Bill Pryor from Spinergy Consulting is a studio owner, and he's also a consultant to others uh, looking to create their own indoor cycling studio. And he joins me from Boston today. Bill, welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Hello, John. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Tell us about the studios that you have. Well, we own uh, two dedicated indoor cycling studios in the Boston area, west of Boston, suburbs of Boston, one in Wellesley, Massachusetts, one in Newton, Massachusetts. I'm partners with my sister, and I'm also involved with a very similar studio concept in a suburb of Chicago, Winneka, Illinois. And all three of these studios have one thing in common. They're 100% completely dedicated spin studios. One has 44 bikes, another has 39, and the third has 26. There are no other activities that take place. The Chicago studio has been in existence for about eight years and one of our Boston area studios has been around for five years in fact five years this week and the other Boston studio has been around for two and a half years they've been great little businesses for us and they seem to have you know a sustainable model and so so it's worked well now these are are with the quotation marks official spinning studios Is that correct? actually they're not they're indoor cycling studios Oh, they are? Yes. Okay, interesting. Okay, was there a reason that you went one way or the other? Well, at the time that we were launching, when we were looking at different bikes to use, the guy who was going to be maintaining our bikes had a strong feelings that the Schwinn bike was going to be a more durable product for us. And I was concerned about, at that time, this is five years ago, and I think at this point I would I would consider Star Trek and spinner bikes, but at that time... We committed to Schwinn because we felt that we'd have less. You know, when you're running a spin studio, the, the maintenance and durability of the bikes is a big issue. You, you know, we have 25 classes a week. A lot of them are full classes. And you just want to make sure you have a, a bike that's going to hold up to that kind of beating. So, you know, that was really the primary reason. Actually, most of my instructors are Mad Dog certified and you know, we're careful about using the spin verbiage. We do call it indoor cycling. Um, and I think the, the current spin bikes are probably much better. But that was the reason we originally went as an indoor cycling studio. All right. And you have no problem marketing uh, or communicating to the public that 
indoor cycling spinning it's all the same well yeah we have to i mean we we adhere to the to the mad dog specifications when when we whenever we do use the word spin which is rarely in any of our marketing or promotion and we have to be diligent about that uh we we designate it as a as a copyright and trademark term of mad dog so no we are indoor cycling studios but I guess the point I was trying to make is that is there any confusion in, in to uh, to the public? There can be sometimes. I think, for instance, people typically are going to put into a Google search the word spin as opposed to indoor cycling. That kind of thing can hurt you from a marketing standpoint. I think ideally you would want to be able to have the word spin you know, built into your marketing materials if all other factors were in line for that. So it's an issue. Okay, so tell me from a physical perspective, these are standalone buildings, you're renting uh, strip mall space? Basically, we're, we're renting, I don't know if it's quite strip mall, but it's strip mall-like space in all three of the locations. We're on three to five-year leases, and these are spaces that we have modified you know, to our own requirements for, for the studios. All right. Now, the one one issue that I had with the, the other studio that I mentioned earlier is that she struggled with her neighbors and the noise level. And do you run into any of those problems? We had to leave one location because of that. The two biggest issues with a spin studio or an indoor cycling studio are noise and parking. And those are the two issues that you just have to address them at the time that you're doing your property search. Noise, obviously, you're best in a standalone. Second best would be where you only have one common wall with someone. And in all cases, your neighbors, your direct neighbors who share walls are going to have to be non-noise sensitive facilities. I mean, I'm next to a Chinese restaurant in one place. They don't care. And also, they're not open a lot of the times when we're open. In another place, we're next to a personal training studio, and they don't care. In a third place, uh, we're open to next to a retail store that, uh, that opens at noon and is only open during the week. So it's not an issue there, and they close at 6 o'clock, and our classes are in the evening. So the noise issue you need to take care of. Parking is a big deal, too, because in order to make these models work, you need a lot of flow of riders coming through. Unlike a, you know, a gym, a, a cycling studio needs to have – you know, a high volume of uh, riders in order to be financially successful. So, you know, if you have 30 bikes in a class, theoretically, that could be 30 cars showing up at your facility. And then before that class breaks, another, you know, you have another 30 cars. So, you know, somehow there needs to be either, you know, dedicated parking or plenty of on-street parking or uh, near a municipal parking or something. Parking and noise, I think, are the two primary things that need to be concerned with when, when finding your space. So you started these studios and decided that you obviously had some success at that and decided to get in the consulting side. Tell me how that all came about. Well, basically what ended up happening, John, was I would get a call. I don't want to exaggerate one to two times a month for several years from somewhere, somewhere around the country looking at this concept and thinking about opening one in their own community. And unlike 
I mean, it's it's amazing to me that there aren't more of these because I look at a model like yoga and yoga. There are thousands, literally thousands of yoga studios in this country. And I've done some research on indoor cycling studios, and I would say there are probably on the order of dozens, I mean, an order of magnitude less than there are yoga studios. Yet the concept is basically the same, dedicated studio, you charge a little bit more, but you offer a premium product. People can do yoga at large box gyms, but they tend to prefer studios. So people would call me and they would sort of pick my brain about how it works, how you charge, how you differentiate yourself from the spinning or cycling that happens in a gym. And at a certain point, I realized, I, you know, there's only so much time I can spend with people. And so we sort of set up a little consulting service. It's, it's available, you know, it's linked on our website. And, and basically, we offer hourly fee-based consulting around business planning, around marketing, around um, financial management of these businesses to help people who want to develop and launch their own. We're not, a, we're not a franchise company. We don't, you know, we don't take a piece of the revenue. We don't, you don't use our name or anything like that. But it's really more just um, help getting launched. And we've got our own financial records and our own historic data, which is extremely helpful because you, we could if we can show you exactly what our experience has been. So this is I'm working with probably right now about eight or ten folks in different areas of the country who are looking at developing these kinds of studios. Okay, so I'm a instructor, and I've got this little twinkle in my eye that says, you know, I'd just really love to have my own studio. Is there kind of a checklist of things as far as what would make for a viable business rather than just a dream? One of the first things that needs to happen is and, – and we do get a lot of instructors and people who are uh, in the fitness industry who are um, active in it. But they may not have a, a real business management or business or entrepreneurial you know, experience. Probably the first thing that needs to happen is a realistic assessment of what's going to be involved, both in terms of your own time, also in terms of the financial management of the business. And we have a couple of models that allow you to take a look and say, okay, how much money is, is going to be required to start this thing? How fast can I make that money back? How soon can I start making a profit? And how much profit can I make? I mean, that's sort of the first level of analysis that needs to be done because everyone's in a different financial situation in terms of their needs. Everyone's in, in different regions of the country. You know, there's different factors that go into this, but there has to be some kind of assessment. And really what that is, is a business plan. A lot of those elements that I just described would be in a business plan. And so I think the first thing someone needs to do is think about developing a business plan that answers those questions so they can determine if it's the right thing for them. But And one other point, John, and, and you kind of, I think, alluded to it, it's also a question of what you want to be doing personally because when you – it's very different being an instructor, performing fitness tasks like teaching and managing a business, two different Skill sets, not every, it's not for everybody, but for people who feel like they can or want to manage a business, this can be a, a fantastic little business. How do you differentiate between someone who thinks they want to have a business and have the personality traits that would 
tell you that they have the potential of being successful? This is through a series of conversations and a th- series of real world exercises to determine, you know, the types of activities that are going to be involved. For instance, you know, we will develop with a potential studio owner an operating budget and that operating budget, it's nothing hugely complex. A a cycling studio is not a, a, a large business. It's a small business, but someone who's interested in running one needs to have a basic understanding of how spreadsheets work, how an operating budget works, and has to feel comfortable or they have to have a partner or they have to have somehow a mechanism by which they're going to manage the business financially. And frankly, I think that is one of the key things that folks need to consider whether they're adept at. Number two, and this is an area where some people are naturals and other people struggle, is the notion of marketing. And the notion of getting the word out on these types of businesses, of determining how to interact with the community, how to advertise and, and market, which, which are services that we have a lot of, of experience with and can help folks with as well. So the marketing and then the business management, these are things people need to think about in terms of whether they want to own this, own this kind of a business. A lot of the people that we work with have a partner. And oftentimes a partnership in one of these is, is a great model. My, I am partners with my sister. I sort of do more of the behind the scenes, taking care of the equipment, working on the website, doing the financials, the QuickBooks, the budgets. And she's more sort of upfront, interacting with the uh, customers, creating community events and being sort of the marketing face of the business. And that kind of a partnership works really well for this kind of business. It sounds to me as if you have managers at each facility. There's two of you and there's three studios and they're spread out. So how how do you do that? Actually, no, we do not. One of the beauties of this business is unlike a health club or a gym where you're open from six in the morning till nine at night and someone has to be there, we're only open when we have classes. Most days we have three or four classes. Sometimes on weekends we have five classes. So that means the studio is open three to four hours a day which is not a huge amount of time. Usually one of us is there when the studio is open or we allow a teacher because the entire system, we haven't really talked about how these studios work, but everything, class reservations, payment, memberships, everything is handled through a website online. So the need for an on-site presence is really not necessary. We have no employees in any of these studios. The owners In Chicago, I have a sister who owns that studio, and she is, in effect, the manager. She also teaches five classes a week. In Boston, we have two studios. I kind of handle one. My sister handles the other. By mean handle, meaning we're the ones who go there the most. In many cases, we have instructors who are independent contractors, by the way, who will manage their own class, which basically means – opening and closing, making sure that people sign into the class, et cetera. So there is no manager. There are no employees in in the model that we've developed for this. And it simplifies it vastly, believe me. It sure sounds like it. Okay. So, you know, you talked about how it all operates, but I think what a lot of my listeners are going to be interested in is how do you pay your instructors? They're independent contractors. We pay them a class fee, an hourly fee, and it depends on from market to market. In Boston here, we pay between $25 and $50 a class per teacher 
depending on the experience level of the teacher, how long they've been with us. If they earn over $600 a year, and at least in Massachusetts, I know if they earn over $600 a year, we issue a 1099 to them at the end of the year, and they're responsible for their own taxes. Okay, so I guess I was the question I should have phrased it better is: Are are you paying them per head, or you know, for popularity, or is it like you say more experience based? We have bonuses based on attendance to the classes. If you're able to attract a certain level of attendance, you you get bonus dollars, and that's a very important part of the of the concept because, uh, again, unlike a gym, your studio is based on you know people. The other thing is we, we, we it's primarily a pay-per-ride system, like a yoga studio where you pay for each class that you go to. So the more people who are attending, the more money you're making. So there's a huge onus and incentive on teachers that do attract students. Okay, now talk to me about how everything just kind of functions. You, were, you hinted at it as far as the registration, those things. We use a online system where... People need to set up a username, the customers, clients, set up a username and password. They set up an account. Once they have an account in our system, they can purchase either monthly unlimited spin passes or they can more often they purchase what we call online ride cards in quantities ranging from five to 75. So, for instance, you buy a 20 ride package online. And every time you visit the studio, you sign in and we debit your account for one of those rides. So the money goes directly in through the website and into the bank. We, we collect very little money at the studio. People ride on a pay-per-ride basis. If they, the ride packages expire in six months to a year, depending on how many you buy. And you can also go in as a rider, as a customer of ours. You can look at your account see how many rides you have left, see what days you've ridden. You can make reservations for future classes. And this is a huge distinguishing characteristic between us and a typical gym where oftentimes the spin classes sell out. You have to show up an hour early. You can't get in. Our places, you make a reservation and you show up on time, you're guaranteed of having a bike. So you can show up two minutes before the class, walk right in, get on, have your class. So that's how the uh, the online system works. And also through that system, we're able to track which teachers are getting the most students. We're able to create payroll records from there. We can manage our schedule. Customers view the schedule online, can make changes in the schedule, identify substitutions. We put bios of our teachers tied to the system. So most of the interaction other than when people come in to take a class, most of the interaction with our business happens through the website. And with the kind of tools that are available now on the web, it's really uh, made the business much more e- easy to manage, simpler to manage. Is there a – I'm trying to think how to ask the question. If the, the concept between pay per ride and, you know, and a membership – is that something you have trouble or people struggle with? To be honest, it is something that people who I talk to who that want to start studios have issues with it. Our experience is that pay per ride is much better. People always say, well, wait a second. How, why would someone pay per ride when they could have unlimited by joining a gym? It's a complicated answer, but basically the amenities of belonging to a studio in a pay per ride system are flexibility. 
You can come in when you want. You don't have to come in. If you don't come in for a month or two, you're not being charged. The reservation system, the quality of the studio itself, the convenience of the studio. In this model, people just like the the notion that they're not committing. Our customers like the notion that they're not committing to a company that's going to charge their credit card every month for a year, whether they use the service or not. And all I can say is it, it works. 90% of our business is pay-per-ride business. People buying anywhere from a 10-ride package to a 50- or 75-ride package. And it's really kind of the central pricing mechanism for these studios. And it works. Now, you can offer people the option of having an unlimited monthly package versus pay per ride. Most people for us choose pay per ride. Here in Minnesota, there's a number, what number? There's two uh, large franchise ors of these uh, key card uh, fitness centers. Right. Anytime, Anytime Fitness and Snap Fitness are both based here in Minneapolis. And they seem to be very popular. Yeah, you know they're very limited. Very matter of fact, they just built a very very good looking one just across the street from the club where I teach. Is what you're doing have some potential connection to the thought process that makes those successful? Is there group exercise in those? Or no. they okay? No, they're um, just they're just equipment based, right? And they have personal training services. And you buy membership, uh, correct? A monthly me- membership fee, correct? You know, no, I don't, you know, that's, that's a different model. It's something that I don't have to tell you, John, indoor cycling is when people get into it, they, it, it's a, it's a purely a cardio thing, but it's highly addictive. It's highly effective as a cardio exercise. People who are doing it typically, you know, feel great and love it. The people who are, who discover this exercise and who become fans of it are looking for an environment where they can do it in a comfortable fashion, in a quality setting. And I think what we're tapping into is a desire to experience it in the best possible way without a lot of the headaches. Two miles from our studio is a large box gym. I won't give the name. It's an East Coast chain that has for a monthly fee, you can spin unlimited as well as swim in their pool, play basketball, and work out on all their equipment. Yet we have people who pay per ride to come ride with us because of the experience. And it's more convenient. It's more flexible. The quality's better. And they love it. This idea of a studio is simply a – not everyone's going to do it. This, this big box gym near us also gets a lot of people who spin who never come to us. But for a lot of people – it's a great alternative, and it's really just a niche-focused, niche product in the same way that you could do Pilates or yoga at that big box gym near us, yet there's a dozen yoga and Pilates studios within two miles of that place that are also busy. Well, I want to mention one other factor in this. One of the huge segments that we get, and of course, we're in the northern part of the country like you are, is we, we get outdoor cyclists. It's probably only about 20 to – when I say outdoor cyclists, I mean you know serious outdoor cyclists. It's probably about 20% of our clientele. But these are folks who 
when the, when the weather's nice, they're outside. So we don't see them. Fortunately, the weather in New England, where I am, is lousy about five or six months of the year. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm from Minneapolis, so I know all about that, all about lousy. Right. And I know all about competitive cyclists. And right, yeah. they, in a membership type big box, uh, their membership plans don't fit for them. We have some outdoor cyclists who are instructors, and they love those instructors. We're, we're, we're catered to them. And plus, they don't want to join that gym because they're going to be outside for six months, so they don't want to make a year-long commitment to a gym. So that's a huge contingency of folks that if you have those near where you're thinking about your studio and you cater to them by having some classes that are interesting for them, you know that, that's a group of people that you will never see joining those big gyms. So that's just, just an example. I hope that gets at your question a little bit. I'm, I'm guessing that there's a lot of people kind of in their back of their minds thinking, you know, this could work. I'm going to guess that there's going to be some competition for these people's attention and money. Yeah, it, 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 there absolutely is. And the good here's the good news, bad news. The good news is everywhere you go in this country, people know indoor cycling and they know spinning. And the reason is, is because it's the number one group exercise at large big box chain gyms and health clubs all around the country. So th- that's the good news. You're not walking in with some brand new concept, uh, you know, Zumba or Pumba or Wamba or whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, okay. you're, you're walking into a market where pretty much indoor cycling and the Johnny G spinning has been around since the late 80s. It's an established market. A lot of people are familiar with it or do it. So no matter where you go, you've got a customer base that's familiar with your product. That's the good news. On the other side of it, yes, you've got competition, people who are offering the same product. If you're a serious indoor cyclist and if you're, or if you're an instructor, you know that you, when you walk into a spin class at random gyms around the country – you can have either a really good experience or you can have a really bad experience. And part of that experience has to do with how, how they maintain the bikes. Part of it has to do with how they select their instructors. Part of it has to do with how they manage the reservation system in the gym, right? I mean, uh, one of my customers was complaining that the local gym, their policy was you had to call 24 hours in advance, call on the phone. 24 hours in advance, and she had a class that she really liked to go to at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning. So the previous day, at 6 a.m. on the previous day, she would start calling on the phone, and the line would be busy, and she'd have to call 25 times, 24 hours before she wanted to go, and then sometimes she would get in and sometimes she wouldn't. I mean, that's just a horrible way to treat a customer who wants a product of yours. So the spin experience at, at these large gyms can be good. In a lot of cases, it's horrible. It, it really is. And that, it's, not, it's no knock against the gym. It's just that that's not the only thing they do. They, they're providing all sorts of services. They're not going to spend a huge amount of time and attention and money evaluating their spin program, most of them, because it's not the only thing they do. They have to worry about everything else that's going on. In that environment, if you launch a niche product 
where you pay attention to the little details, make it easy to reserve, make it easy to get in and out, make sure the bikes are clean and nice and operate well, make sure the sound system is work, get rid of bad teachers if they're, if they're bad, have a sort of community feel to the place where people can come in, serve coffee on Sunday morning. I mean, you, you create a very different kind of feeling experience for the, for the, for the rider. And at the end of the day, they will, if they like it, and again, you know, this is an addictive exercise. If they like it, you know, the, the notion of paying a little bit more is not is not going to be bad for them. It's it's they're going to be getting what they pay for. You know, you're very you're very passionate about all this, Bill. I appreciate that. I, and this is what we've experienced. These businesses are very profitable. I love it, which is great. But if they weren't making money, and if the concept hadn't worked. Well, I wouldn't be doing these anymore, and I know they can be successful under the right circumstances. Well, I think I could talk to you for hours, but we're way beyond what I thought we were going to be doing here. So let's kind of just drill this down. If somebody listening to this says, you know what, I'd like to take this to the next step. You know, I have this little idea, this little dream. Okay, so what would you recommend them do next? The typical model of people who have been calling me is this. First of all, we get on the phone and we talk for half an hour, an hour. No charge for that. I sort of, we get a sense of what they're thinking about. I give them a sense of what's going to be involved. If they're serious, if after that conversation, they say, you know, I would really like to push this ahead. Basically, we begin to draft not a complete elaborate business plan because that's very involved and you really got to be committed. But we, we begin to draft a basic summary of the model that would make sense for them in their particular situation, wherever they are in the country and whatever the cost structures are and that sort of thing. And we develop a pro forma basic summary business plan and operating budget and some basic concepts. There's an hourly fee for that. It probably is, it's not hugely expensive. It's three or four or $500 to get through that first wave and say, okay, I've got enough information here to say I'd like to move ahead. At that point, depending on their own skill set and how much uh, they want to be involved themselves versus how much they want to outsource the business planning aspect of things. I, I would propose to them, you know, some kind of arrangement where there'd be a, a certain number of hours. But basically, we charge by hourly fees, and we, if someone wants services, they we decide what that is. I tell them how many hours it's going to take in advance. I let them know, and then if they want to do it, we do it, and and we bill like that. It really depends on, on how much they want us involved. And some folks, you know, there's a lot of detailed things with the actual operation of the studio that I can save a lot of time and money for people on. What kind of bikes to get? How much? What, what should I be paying for insurance? How do I arrange maintenance? What's the best software system for doing these reservation systems? Those kinds of things, which we know cold because we operate these things you know, we can help with and, and um, there's usually a minimal amount of hours involved with that. So I hope that answers the question. It is different in every case. I mean, some cases people are, you know, they already own existing fitness studios or personal training centers, in which case they don't need much help on the, on the, on the financial management, the business side of it. They need more help on the operation sides of it. Other people are starting from scratch and they need more business planning. 
Right. And I guess the point I'm making is that, yes, yeah, if somebody owns a, you know, one of these, like, I don't know, that's not the right way to put it, but they call them like a strip mall fitness center. Yeah. But if you owned one of those, you could kind of add this module to your, what you're doing. Absolutely. Depending on what it is you, that we, I've had some calls like that, it, especially personal training centers. Personal training is a great compliment, as you know, you know, if you're doing, you know, cycling for cardio and you want to do strength and core training, personal training is, is, a, is a great way to, you know, complement what you're doing with, with, with cycling. Exactly. Okay. Now, the last question I'm going to ask you is if somebody calls you, Bill, and after talking to them for a half hour, 45 minutes or whatever, you in the back of your mind say, you know, this person isn't right for this. Will you tell them that? I really try to be brutally honest about what's going to be involved. And, you know, I have told a few people have come and they basically have thought or felt that they could make money at this, you know, a lot more money than I think you can make and a lot faster than I think you can make it and weren't really prepared to make an investment in the business. It's not a huge investment, but it's launching a business. There, ne- there needs to be an investment. I've told those people, look, y- you know, you're, you're, you're being unrealistic about this. You know, it doesn't do anyone any good to spend a lot of time talking about launching a business if they're really not ready to do it. So the answer to your question is if I sense they're not ready or they're not prepared or they don't have, you know, the resources, what it takes, I will absolutely let them know that. All right. Tell people how they would get a hold of you. Well, you can always find it's us at Spinergy, S-P-Y-N-E-R-G-Y consulting.com, SpinergyConsulting.com. Or, and I have on there my cell phone number, anyone can call me anytime. It's 781-254-3677. At SpinergyConsulting.com, there are a number of, it's a blog, and there's a number of posts about some of the very concepts that we've been talking about today uh, that people can kind of read through. Cool. And I think you and I talked a little bit about maybe bringing some of that content over to IndoorCycleInstructor.com because I think uh, people would enjoy reading it there as well. Absolutely. We'll do that. All right. Well, Bill, uh, very informative, very motivating. I, I, uh, I'm i curious to uh, to see if we got some juices going with some of our listeners. So thank you for uh, joining me today. It's a pleasure, John. Thanks. Thanks.